Welcome, everyone. I'm Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with Dr. Thomas Albini, who is Professor of Clinical Ophthalmology at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine, Bascom Palmer Eye Institute. Welcome to Retina Synthesis, Tom. Thanks for having me, Carmen. I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to talk about retinal vasculitis. It's a disorder which is not commonly encountered by the average retinal clinician. And we'd like to opt update our audience about the clinical manifestations, etiology, diagnostic evaluation, and current clinical management of, of this disorder or disorders. How do you define retinal vasculitis? Well, I think it's a uh, finding on fluorescein angiography is really the way that we've defined it over the years. And it's different from the definition that you have of a classic vasculitis as, as the rheumatology text talks about where they have histology. And um, it's a fine point, but there is a difference between the inflammation seen around uh, vessels, arteries, veins, um, capillary, smaller vessels, uh, as has been classically defined in conditions like Bichette's disease or, or polyangitis um, and other disorders, uh, lupus, um, as has been classically defined by histology and what we see in the eye. In the eye, we don't have the luxury of having a histologic diagnosis, but it's a diagnosis based on seeing um, uh, extravasation of fluid from the retinal vessels. And those often align, those are often associated with inflammatory infiltrates, but they may also be just leakage of fluid. You have to keep that in mind um, that what we're, what we're seeing on the, on the fluorescein angiogram is uh, leakage and, um, and some staining uh, of the cuffing and the perivascular infiltrate um, that you see. So. Um, what we're often looking at is inflammation right around the vessels. And so that's that's how I would define it. And as you said, it's seen in a myriad of conditions, uh, in autoimmune conditions, in infectious conditions, and in, um, uh, and in some neoplastic masquerade syndromes, you have to worry about it. Um, and uh, so it's, it's a very difficult thing uh, to make the correct diagnosis and many things that need to be ruled out or need to be thought of um, that can present with retinal vasculitis. Another really important thing to say right off the bat is that we don't do that many angiograms anymore. So I wanted to start talking about fluorescein angiography, but the reality is that in busy retina clinics nowadays, OCT is the imaging modality uh, most often employed. And um, the type of leakage that you see on a fluorescein angiogram isn't really seen very well on an uh, OCT angiogram. And unless you're employing fluorescein, you may miss uh, retinal vasculitis. You may see an inflamed eye and not know that they have vasculitis. And then recently we had the occurrence of occlusive retinal vasculitis rarely after the use of a novel anti-VEGF agent after bolecizumab hit the market. And so many of us were so excited to have this, uh, what seemed to be a really great drying agent 
possibly better than all the other agents that we had, but in a very small number of cases, patients would develop this occlusive retinal vasculitis. And unless you performed an angiogram, you could totally miss that. Um, so anyway, just to put in a plug there, but in terms of the diagnosis and the evaluation, um, angiography, I think, is still essential. And it's something that a lot of people don't even have in all of their offices anymore. What's the ophthalmic appearance of retinal vasculitis? What are the associated uh, retinal findings? So on clinical exam, I'd start by saying, because it's often an inflammatory or infectious disorder, you'll see an inflamed eye, including all the other um, sequelae of inflammation, anterior chamber cell, vitreous cell, cystoid macular edema, chorioretinal lesions. I mean, that, that's the setting in which it happens, not exclusively. Sometimes you won't have any of those things, but, but th those would be things I would look for. In terms of the actual vessels, um, you can see cuffing or sheathing. You can see infiltrates around uh, the vessels. You can see sometimes um, uh, more elaborate infiltrates coming off, like in the uh, candle wax dripping uh, uh, classic presentation of sarcoidosis, for example, which often uh, manifests as a retinal vasculitis. Um, sometimes the vessels just look engorged. Um, like in birdshot, you can get vasculitis right off the, the primary vessels coming off the optic nerve. They can be um, engorged. And, and um, uh, when you do a fluorescein angiogram, you'll see that they're, they're leaking. Um, sometimes you can see, you know, the sequelae of, of, of ischemia, hemorrhages in the retina around the vessels. Um, but I think those would be, those would be the, the main findings. And then you can confirm them with, a, with an FA. So uh, diagnostic evaluation of the patient. Uh, let's talk about imaging. You, you've uh, emphasized the importance of fluorescein angiography of being almost a unique tool for making this diagnosis. But what about wide field angiography? What about uh, indesigning green angiography? Other imaging techniques? You know, I, I think that um, uh, indesigning green angiography is important for select conditions and looking in, in general for choroidal involvement because you can see the lesions that we think are deeper in the choroid. Um, like in birdshot chorioretinopathy or in sarcoid, you can see sarcoid granulomas uh, very nicely on ICG angiography. I think interpreting, you know better than I do, because I've read your book on ICG angiography, but um, you know, I think uh, uh, vascular leakage on ICG is more difficult to in interpret than some of the hypocyanescent lesions that you have. But I think that um, the way I use ICG is specifically if, if I have a diagnosis in mind, like birdshot, or sarcoidosis, I will look that, I will use the ICG to confirm that diagnosis looking for those, uh, looking for those findings. Um, in terms of wide field angiography, I think that's, um, 
really, as far as I can tell, I mean, in, in my hands, that's, that's the norm. Um, I have a photographer who's trying to get certified for some clinical trial and she, she has to do, I, I won't mention the system, but she has to do a non-wide field system. And I realize how painful it is for me to recommend to her to use non-wide field angiography on any of my patients because it's just so much harder to interpret. So I think the wide field system, uh, we use the opto system um, for both fluorescein and ICG is just fantastic and is really easy to, um, to make a decision as, as you're following the patient tr through treatment if, they, if they're getting better or if they're getting worse, it's just so easy to line up those pictures. Whereas in the old system with the limited view and the, the, uh, the, the smaller pictures, um, so you don't always get the same spots and unless you have a really good photographer. Um, and again, we're doing less angiography, so they're not getting better at it. Um, it's, it's sometimes challenging to, to get the same spots and make a decision about some peripheral uh, vasculitis. So I think wide field angiography is absolutely essential. Let's talk about presentation and etiologies. What are the most common etiologies of retinal vasculitis? You know, I think I see a lot of intermediate uveitis uh, with uh, retinal vasculitis. Um, that's a component of it, usually more peripheral, although there's some patients who have vitritis and a lot of vasculitis going back into the into the uh, uh, towards the macula or in the macula, even um, and uh, you worry about things like multiple sclerosis in those patients. Certainly, sarcoidosis can present, um, but uh, I think those are common. When you see those patients, you have to think about a lot of infectious etiologies also. So I think um, as a rule number one of uveitis is rule out the infections uh, before you start treating patients um, with steroids. So um, syphilis can present as a isolated retinal vasculitis uh, or vasculitis with other components, uh, other findings in syphilis. Typically there's vitritis and infiltrates um, pre-retinal or even in the retina. Um, so syphilis testing, super easy to get. Um, some people are squeamish about it. I see a lot of doctors in the community not get it for whatever the reason is, but I think really any inflamed eye, unless it's painfully obvious what's going on, syphilis needs to be ruled out and you, you could, you could easily miss it. Some people have it for decades without realizing that they've been exposed to it. Um, uh, TB is a thought, not so much in Miami or in the United States in general, but you don't want to forget about it. And quantifiron testing, if you're going to be putting patients on immunosuppressives, is a good idea anyway. So serology for TB is a, is a good thing. And then think about toxoplasmosis. You know, toxo is an incredibly common um, uh, condition, uh, cause of, of uh, a posterior segment inflammation. And um, it can present with inflamed vessels with the classic presentation being the Kirillias plaques um, that you can see in those, uh, in those vessels. So you need to think about that if you're seeing that type of, of vascular change. Um, but I do think that the non-infectious causes are, are more common and um, 
Oh, another infectious cause that absolutely can't be missed is viral etiologies. Acute retinal necrosis, CMV retinitis can present with inflamed vessels. CMV, the first thing that gets inflamed, as Narsing Rao showed so nicely decades ago, is the endothelium in the vessels, and then the retina gets inflamed subsequent to that. Um, and so it can present first as, as a vasculitis, either a full-grown frosted branch type presentation that you can see in CMV or, um, or just a more subtle vas vascul uh, vasculitis. So think about those infections. Those need to be ruled out. Look, look for retinal whitening associated with it, of course, and think about getting a PCR um, if you're suspicious of any viral etiology. Um, and probably treat for it if you're suspicious of it. It's it, to treat with Valtrex is not such a big deal, even Valside for a short period of time until you get your PCR results back. Better that than to miss it because those eyes can go south very quickly. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think um, other etiologies, we I mentioned sarcoidosis. We think about Bichette's disease. Almost all patients with Bichette's disease uh, will have uh, ulceration of uh, either oral ulcers or genital ulcers. So important to, to ask about that, that can really make, make a diagnosis there. Um, polyangiitis, the former Wegener's disease, ANCA positive um, vasculitis is something to think about, especially in patients who present with other pulmonary or renal issues going on uh, that you can put the diagnosis together and uh, get the get the um, uh, laboratory workup for that, or have them evaluated by a rheumatologist that's working with you if they have uh, those conditions to see if if um, that might explain all the, all of the things that are going on in those patients. Um, multiple sclerosis, I think I mentioned already, presents as intermediate uveitis. One thing to worry about with MS is that. The anti-TNF agents, which we sometimes use for chronic treatment, can make MS worse. So that's something that um, all patients that present with an intermediate uveitis where I'm considering using MS, I'll get a brain MRI just to make sure that there's no evidence of MS, even if they don't have any symptoms. But otherwise, I ask about neurologic symptoms to see if they have anything going on um, that could be consistent with, um, with multiple, uh, multiple sclerosis. And then you get into like uncommon things, Church-Strauss syndrome, patients with asthma and hypereosinophilia and retinal vasculitis, um, ocular conditions, birdshot, um, sometimes birdshot without uh, the classic birdshot lesions, um, or I think we should call it birdshot. I guess it's somewhat debatable. I think some of the recent... Um, uh, sun classification work that came out supports the idea that if you have, there are definitely patients like this, they'll present with findings of birdshot, cystoid macular edema, maybe, doesn't have to be there. Retinal vasculitis, maybe, doesn't have to be there. Um, but if you pick up those things, older patient presenting with botrytis and with, let's say, retinal vasculitis, especially, and it really is so commonly this vasculitis, you get the retinal vasculitis, you get in birchot is those primary vessels coming off the nerve. They often look engorged, very symmetric between the two eyes. You get an ICG on that patient and you'll see those 
hundred of birdshot lesions on ICG. Now, 90% of the time, 95, I don't know what it is, 95% of the time, you'll see the classic birdshot lesions, um, those lesions emanating from the optic disc, uh, usually seen more prominently in the um, infranasal quadrants, um, seen, throughout the, seen throughout the fundus. But um, occasionally you won't, but you'll see the ICG findings and you'll see the retinal vasculitis. And then when you confirm with an HLA A29 test, those will come back positive. I think those patients should be treated like birdshot, even if they don't have the classic uh, birdshot lesions. Um, so going through Irvan is another uh, fascinating disease, first described by Don Gass here in, here in Miami. And uh, these patients uh, present with neuro, uh, neuroretinitis leakage at the optic nerve. And the, the, the real sine qua non of that condition is these uh, macroaneurysmic changes seen at the bifurcation of vessels. Um, and uh, still a condition we don't really understand. Um, I have not treated it that many times, but if you look in the literature, you can see it doesn't often respond very well to steroids. It's thought to be an inflammatory condition. Some, some people think it might not be. Uh, the other interesting thing is often associated with a lot of lipid exudates, which is different from other vasculitic conditions that we see. Um, so it's a little bit of a mystery condition, but it's usually treated as a inflammatory disorder. Um, I think those are, you know, the major conditions I would talk about. There's a whole long list of infectious conditions that can present with the retinal vasculitis that are um, uncommon, but I think toxo, uh, syphilis, you know, those would be the, and, and the viral etiologies, those would be the big ones I would think about. Can you, can you say a little bit about PCR as a diagnostic test? So important, such a, such a huge benefit to, to the field. And the biggest complaint I have about PCR is I, if for the life of me, I can't figure out why we don't have more efficient PCR testing directed towards ocular samples. There must not be a market. I, it must be a problem in the business plan because the science is there. Um, but we do PCRs here. Um, they're single tests you send out, um, a sample for HSV, a separate sample for VZV, a separate sample for toxoplasmosis. The, you know, as we do this genetic, as we do this uh, PCR testing, we're finding that sometimes conditions that we weren't able to diagnose, really bizarre manifestations of toxo, the, the, the retinitis, type of uh, uh, manifestation you can see in toxoplasmosis, particularly in, in um, immunosuppressed patients, but also sometimes in immunocompetent patients. Um, you can miss unless you have that, unless you have the PCR. CMV can present looking like ARN. I mean, the classic teaching we all know is that if you see a CMV patient, there's a clear view to the retinitis because there's no vitritis because they're immunocompromised. That's the the AIDS type of CMV, but you can get CMV in elderly patients who are maybe minimally compromised diabetics, something like that. Very un uncommon, but those patients can have a CMV retinitis that looks like an arm because they have a prominent, um, they have a prominent botrytis. And so that'll throw you into thinking that it's more likely to be a VZV or an HSV and you treat with Valtrex, um, which doesn't cover it, and cancyclovir 
uh, sorry, and, and what they really need is gancyclovir, um, which does cover CMV. And the only way that you can make that distinction reliably is with the PCR. Um, so to me, it just, it, you know, I would love somebody smarter, more effective than me to come up with a, uh, a multiplex PCR where you can take a small volume of fluid and do multiple tests. Um, we now, we know what to check for. We could have a, a, a gear test towards, for ophthalmology, for uveitis. Um, to look at all these things with a with a very small volume of fluid. Hopefully, somebody comes up with that soon. Let's talk a, a bit about therapeutics. Of course, therapy is going to vary widely depending on etiology, but can you give us a therapeutic roadmap? Yeah, I think um, like much of uveitis, um, the number one agent is still steroids. And... Um, tend to use systemic, but um, local steroids work well too. And I'll, I'll say more about local steroids later, but classically you're talking systemic uh, steroids at first. And the reason being nothing works as quickly, nothing is as universally effective as high dose steroids at controlling inflammation, including retinal vasculitis. It'll usually respond very well. Of course, we're excluding all the infectious etiologies, which need the appropriate, you know, antibiotic, antiviral, whatever it is. But um, assuming that it's non-infectious, uh, steroids are the way to start. Problem, of course, with steroids is side effects. So the American College of Rheumatology recommends that patients be down to a dose of seven and a half milligrams or less after two months of treatment. That's a little hard sometimes, two to three months. We kind of fudge that rule practically, but by three months, I think we really want to get down to that. Now, if that's often, you can't do that without having a recurrence in the inflammation. And there are some conditions for which we know you won't succeed, for example, birdshot um, and Wegener's granulomatosis, um, sympathetic ophthalmia, other inflammatory conditions. You need uh, to start a steroid sparing agent soon so that you can taper off the steroids without exposing the eye to more tissue damage from inflammation. And those steroid-sparing agents really haven't changed from the time that I started doing this 15 years ago. You're still talking about CELSEP, about methotrexate, about azathioprine. The addition now is the only um, FDA-approved drug for posterior segment inflammatory disease that's systemic, and that's um, adalinumab or Humira. And uh, that works nicely. I think most people are still using the conventional anti-metabolites as first-line agents. Um, there's some role for T-cell inhibitors, cyclosporin and tacrolimus still used. Um, so those, those agents and the choices are made uh, really looking at, you know, patient uh, risk for complications for the different agents. Um, and otherwise, we don't we don't really have a great algorithm of exactly which agent to start with. In fact, one prospective randomized trial that looked at methotrexate versus CELSEP, the the feeling was amongst uveitis patient uh, specialists that uveitis was a more profound immunosuppressive agent, but clinical trial couldn't demonstrate any difference between using high dose methotrexate and high dose CELSEP 
in a um, large variety of uveitic conditions. So now I think we're more in equipoise about which agent to use. And there's a trial, the advised trial currently enrolling that's randomizing patients to either conventional immunosuppression or adalinumab. That's an NIH-sponsored trial uh, headed by Doug Jabs. And uh, I'm really looking forward to see the, the outcomes there because we, we really don't know. It may be that conventional immunosuppression is better. It may be that Humira is better. I don't know. I know neither of them work all the time, uh, and they certainly work most of the time. So I don't know if we'll be able to demonstrate a difference. And those are, um, those are the conventional immunosuppressives. Um, the truth is that the antimetabolites don't really work well for retinal vasculitis. I think the T-cell inhibitors and anti-TNF seem to work a little bit better, but nothing works as well as steroids. Uh, and there's a place here, I think, for uh, where vasculitis is really a prominent feature of somebody's inflammation and it's not controllable in these other ways. I think that local steroids, especially the sustained delivery products that are out there, Redisert uh, from Bausch and & Lomb and um, Utique, um, uh, are really great products that, uh, that uh, release steroids for three years and can control both cystoid macular edema, um, they're great for that, and for retinal vasculitis, um, they work really well. So those are, I think, our, our treatment options, either systemic or sustained release steroids. You could treat with serial Ozerdex. I'm not a big fan of that type of treatment um, because uh, often between the Ozerdexes, there's recurrence. And um, I think that any recurrence uh, uh, predisposes patients towards vision loss in the long run. So I'd rather have a sustained uh, type of treatment than, than a serial repeat injection treatment. Well, Tom, thanks so much for this very comprehensive review of retinal vasculitis. And uh, I know it's thought provoking. If uh, our listeners and viewers want to learn more, where should they read? You know, I think the, the, uh, the best sources I can think of are the uh, Foster and Vitale uh, textbook on uveitis. It's got extensive uh, chapters uh, there. There's always a lot to be gained by relooking at Don Gass's book, um, uh, the newer editions um, or, the, or the classic editions. I still think there's a lot to be gained by looking at those books. They're amazing. Um, and uh, uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other really can't miss literature on the topic, but I think that those are the places I would start. Good, Tom. Thanks so much. That was great. Thanks, Carmen.